Today I'm having a conversation with Vinod Jane. Vinod and I met not directly, but just kind of through the people that were at Rick Tamlin's Bigger Game Live conference in Minneapolis in June of this past year. And we got to talking in the Facebook group and elsewhere and just thought, hey, it'd be fun to record an episode. So here we are. So tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are and just who are you? Yes, John. Uh, I live in uh, Herndon, Virginia. I'm about 58 years old and uh, I work as a IT consultant uh, with a large company. Uh, corporation here, a not-for-profit uh, organization, and I'm having the time of my life. I'm married, and uh, I have uh, two grown-up kids. How is it that you ended up at the same conference I did? Rick Tamlin was invited by my organization where I work uh, for a speaker series, and uh, so that's how I first got to know him. Then I started seeing some of his uh, blogs and uh, one thing led to another i found out that he was coming to dc for a two hour workshop i attended the workshop and then he invited me uh there uh to come to minneapolis uh, uh for the bigger game live so that's how i ended up in minneapolis and what is it about rick that resonated with you or grabbed your attention Yes, so I've been uh, following a lot of uh, thinkers and writers and philosophers uh, you know, for the last 15, 20 years of my life, trying to soak in wisdom, knowledge. And uh, when I read Rick's blogs and uh, his videos, I was struck by his authenticity, by his uh, honesty, and by his perspective. So... I thought that uh, he's a unique teacher, and and you just, just kind of uh, clicked with the, his thought process. What was one of your biggest or biggest one or two or three takeaways from the conference? Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad you asked that because uh, I've been thinking about writing a blog on the Facebook group about that. Uh, that hey, after three months uh, or so, what are the ten uh, takeaways uh, from the conference? So one of them was that. Uh, um, be a creator rather than a consumer. You know, we consume a lot in our lives uh, all the time, but when it comes to creation, we sort of uh, step back. Uh, um, the second major takeaway was uh, express and you will receive. That is a step up to expressing your voice. Uh, the third one is not just popping up in my head, but uh, Maybe uh, I'll have a thought later. When we first kind of got into contact with each other, you mentioned that you're not from the United States. So tell me what, where you're from how and how you got here. Uh, John, I originally came from India. Uh, my parents still live there. And I came to U.S. in 82 as a grad student uh, to do my Ph.D. in uh, um, uh, physical chemistry. Um, I was on a full scholarship and I studied at the uh, University of New Orleans and that's where I got my PhD and that's what brought me to the U.S. And how different was life in New Orleans than where you grew up? So it was a uh, big transformation for me because I had never stayed in a hostel before, uh, like a dormitory. 
Um, I was uh, in Delhi, living with my parents, uh, uh, doing my master's. And so culturally and from a personal freedom perspective, it was a whole different ballgame for me. I felt, you know, total freedom to do pretty much whatever I wanted to do. And I met people from all over the world. In India, you tend to see mostly Indians, but uh, when I came here, uh, suddenly I was uh, meeting people from Iran, um, Africa, or uh, Pakistan even, you know? I think that was the first big change I saw. What was the biggest surprise? Well, the biggest surprise that uh, the society in America is much more unstructured or sort of free to improvise. when I first came to the U.S. Uh, at New Orleans airport, uh, one of my professor, who later became my advisor, received me in his shorts, you know, like a T-shirt and shorts, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, you know, I always saw professors kind of all suited up and uh, I never saw them, you know, in a casual uh, atmosphere. So most that was the big difference I saw here in the U.S., that people are casual, uh, more casual than uh, what you see in India. So when you came to New Orleans to study, so this is graduate school, what right. was the difference in the socioeconomic? Uh, by the time when I came to New Orleans, I was living in, uh, before that I was living in New Delhi. I was going to a pretty good college my financial circumstances were much better because prior to my arrival in the U.S., I was actually working in a chemical R&D firm. So there wasn't a whole lot of change, except that I had a full scholarship and I had enough money in the U.S. to live comfortably. But I think before you mentioned when we were not recording, you mentioned that you grew up in a situation where you didn't have electricity and like things were much different too. Well, that was uh, my early part of my childhood. Uh, Essentially, um, when I was in seventh grade, so I must have been 12 or 13 years old, uh, my parents uh, decided to move from that village to uh, New Delhi, uh, where my father worked actually. And uh, so that was a major transformation or a major change coming from that village rounding to a a large city like Delhi. And I adjusted quickly, I adjusted well, but I saw poverty firsthand. I could never dream at that point that one day, you know, I might be able to come to U.S. for uh, higher education. What were the stepping stones that got you there? Yeah, I've been thinking about that lately because uh, I grew up in that poverty and there was nobody in our entire family uh, who had ever traveled outside India for higher education. Uh, neither was there a role model for me who could envision doing a PhD. I was the first one to do a PhD in my family. I didn't know anybody in the US. Um, so the steps for me to envision that kind of future for me uh, were um, if I were to sort of capture them, one was that uh, this I had this enormous optimism. I always felt that uh, I was meant to do great things. 
even when I didn't know what those great things were. Uh, so I had this internal energy and optimism. Some of them was uh, fed by, you know, some um, Jain monks. Uh, I'm a Jain, um, and uh, those Jain monks used to come to our village and stay there for a long time. Um, so I was very optimistic by nature, and then uh, I developed this great passion for reading. Even in the village, I started reading books wherever I could get my hands on. Um, I started reading newspaper, started listening to radio. And then uh, once I came to Delhi, I found there was a library close to my house. And then I read voraciously, literally going to the library every second day. And that kind of fueled my imagination that uh, anything is possible. And then I ended up getting admission in a good college in New Delhi. And uh, that laid the foundation for a good academic career. I was always good in math and sciences. So when the time came, uh, I was able to dream big, essentially sort of get carried away with my optimism and uh, this uh, can-do attitude. Has that optimism ever had bad results? Yes, um, it has. And uh, what I'm learning is that uh, when you let your imagination run wild, uh, sometimes you feel like doing things which don't pan out the way you want them. And uh, But uh, I've never so far let the fear of failure kind of stop me from moving forward. But obviously, I've gotten a lot more wiser in terms of uh, approaching new ideas and uh, when to decide how much I want to invest in uh, new ways or new ideas. What are the latest new ideas that you've been thinking about or exploring? Well, I'll share with you one idea. I thought of writing a novel, like a fiction book. Uh, so I took some uh, writing workshops. Uh, I like writing. And so I had a story in my head. And uh, so I came all the way to for a four-year period come to develop a draft, a rough draft of the novel. But I've not been able to translate into a published book yet. Um, you know, I lost some energy uh, uh, at one stage and uh, to get my novel published would require a lot of effort, which I feel I don't have the energy right now. So that was one idea which I started, took it to a point and then kind of lost some steam. Um, the other idea I'm exploring now is to become a uh, professional coach. I am going to be taking some classes with the Coaching Training Institute, Institute uh, here in Washington, D.C. And uh, going to the bigger game live conference in Minneapolis and uh, talking to a lot of the coaches, I am emerging myself in that journey. And to be honest with you, that's a big idea for me right now. And I don't know how it's going to, how it's going to end up, um, whether I'm going to succeed or how much I'm going to succeed, but I'm letting it flow. You know, I'm telling myself just do what you need to do and don't worry about where I end up. And what's the attraction to coaching? Well, coaching is built on having powerful conversations with uh, clients. uh, And uh, 
I've been always intrigued by ideas, powerful ideas and uh, good conversations. And uh, I feel like uh, I can uh, sort of tune in into my life's journey and uh, sort of harness all of the challenges and frustration I have in life and sort of uh, harness that learning into helping other people, but from a place of some wisdom, some uh, life experiences. What would you say are some of the biggest things that you've learned? Yeah, I actually sometimes talk to my daughter and uh, I share some of my life lessons. Um, one of the big lessons I've learned is that all of us, all of us, however small, however poor or rich we might be or wherever we are in our life, whatever education we have, we all have potential of a great future for us in our lives. And uh, so we're all born gifted in numerous ways. And uh, we need to find possibilities in our lives through greater awareness. So that's one big lesson. I encourage people to find their best in themselves. The second um, lesson I've learned is uh, how to harness your environment. I tell people, look around you and see where you are and find a way to your goals. Usually there's a path from where you are to where you want to go. And by being aware of our surroundings, the people we know, the town we live in, engaging with our environment, we can find that way. And what do you think are some of the best ways to have that awareness and to get in touch with it? So one of the things I've done, even when I was in India and since then, that uh, I surround myself uh, with great authors, artists, uh, music, books of all kinds to kind of fuel my imagination. I deliberately tune into all of these things to kind of feed my imagination and creativity. And I've seen normal places like a university or a library or a some uh, older people in the community that they can be tremendous sources of guidance or uh, wisdom in our lives. I have conversation with people. I explore. I'm curious. These are these things I would offer in a coaching session to people that, hey, are you bringing these creative elements to the table? What are some of your favorite recent books? I recently read, in terms of fiction, a book called The Origin by Dan Brown. I absolutely loved it. You know, it, it has like 500 plus pages. And so that was my favorite book of recent time. And then I read the book Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Oh, I just read his other book, Ego is the Enemy. I read that that also, but Obstacle is the Way just kind of blew my mind. And I first saw a signature by a colleague of mine who had this in his email message, you know, like at the bottom you have a signature. Mm. So somebody, somebody wrote this line, Obstacle is the Way. And I said, let me explore what that is. And then <laughs> my son was reading that book. Uh, he... He's a medical student, and I went to his uh, apartment, and he was reading the book, and I said, man, 
I got to read this book. And so that's been one of the sort of great book I've read recently. What were your biggest takeaways or like what was so profound about that book? So obstacle is the way it's very counterintuitive. And the way it's counterintuitive is that uh, we tend to think that uh, if something is difficult, we should find something easier. Uh, why waste energy if uh, we are finding resistance? But uh, what I'm learning now is that there is tremendous learning to be had if we stay in there and uh, sort of uh, complete our journey without worrying too much about the obstacle, find ways to overcome them one way or the other. So, and Rick Tamlin also talks about that, hey, uh, sometimes the, the areas which are most challenging also give you uh, the most learning. Uh, so that could be the source of creativity in our difficulty, in our challenges, in our obstacles. So I'm, I'm embracing that. What's your thought on like how, and I'm curious what your takeaway from the book or your own philosophy is, how do you know when to keep, you know, fighting the obstacle or being with it or embracing it? And when do you walk the opposite direction and just say, you know, I'm not meant to deal with this obstacle. I'm going to go around it or I'm going to walk in the opposite direction. Yeah. So that's a great question. And uh, I think we all have to find that answer ourselves. Uh, I don't think you can dictate the answer to that. For example, for this uh, novel I was writing after about four, four and a half year of working and kind of coming up with the draft, I felt like I had exhausted all of my energy and uh, my creativity was not working anymore. I just felt like stuck. And I said, you know what, let me take a break. I mean, that, you know, it, it was not urgent that I had to work in publishing the book right away. So I took a break. And uh, at some point, I'll go back. But uh, it also comes with a certain amount of maturity. And uh, so you can change the pace of how you, how much you engage, depending on the resistance you are facing. But if it's valuable enough, one should never leave an arena where you're strong about, but you can change your pace or you can uh, change your tactics. So I do that all the time. I'm no longer intimidated by the resistance or the obstacles. And I say sooner or later, I'll make my way and I'll find my path. Hmm. What have been some of the biggest obstacles in your life? Well, I'm going to be honest here. Um, one of the biggest obstacles I'm still struggling uh, is that... Uh, I still don't fully embrace my full potential. You know, I still get influenced by what I don't have uh, versus what I have. So how do I get the most out of my life? Uh, how do I become so comfortable with myself, who I am, that uh, I don't have doubts or significant doubts? If you remember, Rick Tamlin talks about doubts, you know, all the time. So I struggle with 
uh, significant doubts about what I can do, um, what are all the possibilities are, but I'm learning to fly. But I must admit that uh, uh, sometime, you know, I don't fully embrace with all what I can do. Which I think is which I think is fascinating. <laughs> when I think of your background, uh-huh. so you grew up. You said until you were twelve without yeah. electricity. Mm-hmm. You come to the United States and you've never been here. <laughs> Yeah. You learn a completely new culture. You get a yeah. PhD. Right. You're 58 years old. And you right. still and you're still like I would look at your life and say, "Oh my gosh, he's got it together." Yeah, so this is that line I sometimes struggle uh, the line between being humble and being arrogant. I rarely am arrogant and I'm always to see how I can be a better person and what is ahead of me, rather look back in terms of what I've accomplished, what I've achieved. I'm hoping that as I learn to be a good coach, part of that uh, process will also strengthen me and embrace and uh, be happy with who I am, who I have become, and, uh, and embrace all the potential in me as uh, I encourage the potential in others. So that element of doubt, self-doubt, I don't think it ever leaves us, you know, mm-hmm. being comfortable with it and transcend it. Um, so nowadays when I feel uh, doubts uh, and I get that frequently, I ask myself, am I bringing my best to it? And uh, am I putting the effort uh, in what I want? And most of the time when I do the preparation, when I do the, the work uh, that thing requires, I'm able to overcome the doubts. Yeah, something that you'll encounter in the CTI training is the idea of a saboteur. And uh-huh. the, there's the training around that is that, like you're saying, it never completely goes away and we can't mm-hmm. completely eradicate it, but we mm-hmm. can be aware of it and we can manage it or we can also ignore it. Like we have, we have choices. That's but it, right. But it's a it's a really yeah good thing to be aware of. I think awareness is the first thing. Um, and uh, so I when I sense a, a like a strong doubt coming up whether I can execute something or not. So first thing I do is like becoming aware of it, and then I say, hey, you know what? The place I am right now, I can deal with that. And the way to deal that is bring more energy, bring more preparation, and bring that focus. And uh, when I do that, then suddenly the doubt loses its power. Well, that's so interesting, too, because you mentioned that early on in your life, you were so optimistic. That's right. And uh, uh, I'm glad you asked me that question, um, because uh, a lot of people around me tend to lose this optimism um, when they get into 50s, uh, because they start to feel that the best for them is over, that is behind them. And that uh, for whatever reason, you know, they think to think about is retirement and how to have a financially secure future. 
So somehow that idea becomes more important. But uh, I like to think that uh, as long as I'm alive, I, I remain uh, uh, creative and I take risks uh, in personal growth. And uh, I think when you are younger, it's easier to be optimistic. Uh, some of the failures we find along our life or along our journey, somehow we carry the baggage of those failures with us. And uh, I'm still learning to throw away the baggage or the residual effects of past failures. Mm. Sounds like it's a lifelong process. It is. Um, but, uh, you know, I have uh, hired a coach for myself sometime, uh, a couple of times to basically say, you know what, I need some coaching. I need some guidance, how to capture that optimism back, how to, how to get my confidence uh, back. Because uh, as we succeed in life, there is a, a weird thing happens to us. We, we start having bigger egos and we find it harder uh, on that ego when things don't work out the way we want. Uh, when we're younger, we're nimble, we are sort of saying no big deal. But as we become more successful, when things don't go our way, it's much harder to say no big deal, you know what, uh, or quickly uh, adjust and uh, move move along i, I think uh, there is something about that when you are younger and uh, you don't have a lot to lose it's much more easier to take risks and uh, uh, do bigger things it's kind of funny you mentioned ego and age because ryan holiday i think yeah. he's 30 or 31 uh-huh. <laughs> and his latest book ego is the enemy as I read it, I just thought, this guy is just wise beyond his years. Like, how how could he have figured so much of this out? Now, granted, I mean, he pulled together a tremendous amount of information to, you know, from many different sources. But, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm just amazed at his age and his wisdom. No, I totally agree. I think ego is an obstacle in our growth because we hesitate in uh, risking uh, what we have uh, because of that ego. We hesitate in asking questions or um, b- bringing greater curiosity uh, because our ego say, we already know that. You know what? I can go to uh, Google and uh, find out something rather than experiencing life uh, as it is and uh, taking bolder strokes, you know, yeah, or we're afraid that we'll be wrong. And that's, that's, you mentioned, you know, doing, you mentioned doing coaching training to, you know, shed some of your own stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't guarantee you'll shred, shed all of it, but you will, you will definitely, to me, that's one of the most amazing byproducts of the training that I went through. I mean, it was, on a personal level for me, it was totally transformational. And then to learn, to kind of have that experience myself and then to be able to help others go through it, it's just so powerful and so satisfying. So one of the things I started doing, by the way, uh, in uh, where I work nowadays is that uh, I started to have conversation with strangers or people I know and I'll say, hey, I need your input on that. You know, do you have 20 minutes? You know, can we talk? 
So I started to embrace casual conversation, unplanned conversations into my day. It is bringing a lot of joy to me where I run into people and I say, you know what, as I see you, this thought has come to my mind. I want to have a conversation with you on this topic. And can we sit around for 15, 20 minutes? That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I think seeking help, seeking ideas, seeking new voices uh, around us and uh, linking them to our purpose or our journey, I think it's a a powerful concept because uh, I find that we alone cannot bring big change. We have to co-opt people, you know, bring them inside our head, bring them inside what we're thinking. And uh, uh, Rick Tumblin has mentioned in one of his uh, blogs that uh, don't try to do it alone. And what a powerful thought that is. You mentioned that your name, you mentioned Mm -hmm. we were talking about optimism and you mentioned your last name in association with monks. I don't know anything about that. Say more about that. Yeah, so there is a religion called Jainism in India, J-A-I-N-I-S-M, Jainism. Um, So this religion is an offshoot of Hinduism, and uh, it flourished in India from the days of Buddha, you know, like around the same time. And uh, so it's been 2,500-year-plus religion. And uh, most of my family members in my family tree have the last name Jane. So Jane, last name, comes from Jainism religion, which I embrace. And uh, I'm a lifetime uh, vegetarian. Uh, One of the principles of Jainism is uh, total nonviolence. Essentially, they encourage and teach complete nonviolence. And so, you know, when I was a kid, I had a vow from a monk that uh, be vegetarian, don't eat meat. So I've been uh, sticking to that uh, all these years in the U.S. And uh, and I try to tell my to, to my kids also, encourage them to be on the same path. Wait, so... You were you said you were a monk, or you made a vow to a monk. I made a uh, when I met a monk, he made me take a vow. That, okay. Uh, so it is a uh, it's a big theme in Jainism, uh, non-violence. Uh, so don't commit any violence of any kind, even in thought, even in words, or even you know in your acts. So, are you familiar with that book, Nonviolent Communication, by I think it's Marshall Rosenberg? No, but uh, since you mentioned it, I'll look into it. Marshall <laughs> Rosenberg. Okay, tell me about it. Uh, it's what, Rosenberg what? or Goldberg or something. I know it's Marshall something. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's the whole idea of, well, the title of the book is Nonviolent Communication. And it's the idea of, um, my hunch is, I haven't read it in several years. My hunch mm-hmm. is there's some Buddhist principles kind of embedded in it. But it's mm-hmm. it's the idea of oh, how <laughs> it it's the idea of kind of taking full ownership for yourself mm. and speaking to your needs 
And I think the same idea of not being violent, when I use it kind of in air quotes, in other words, if if you've offended me in some way, I'm not attacking you to make the situation better. Instead, I'm speaking to my own needs and how I'm feeling and what I need from you. That makes sense. Yeah, um, it makes sense. Uh, and it's a topic where we can have another hour of conversation. Uh, <laughs> um, because I run into that situation in terms of how much do I want to be right? Yeah, the ego. I, right. But uh, just on the topic of Jainism, I believe uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, the great Indian uh, leader, uh, was influenced by Jain principles. Ahinsa you know, was a concept in his uh, uh, teaching. And uh, so he was influenced by Jainism, uh, this focus on nonviolence. And uh, I believe Martin Luther King sort of learned from Gandhi some of the same principles. And uh, so there is that connection. Mm-hmm. So what are your beliefs in general about life? That's a great question. I haven't thought about it that way, but uh, I am developing a uh, set of uh, principles or the core uh, beliefs. And uh, let me try to articulate those. So I am beginning to embrace that uh, all humans are good, fundamentally good, and that we should accept that even when they are not aware of their own basic goodness. Uh, so so that's one. The other thing is that uh, we should try to be, try to live a more purpose, purposeful life, uh, purpose-driven life, and different people find meaning in different things. But uh, I'm thinking that just kind of living life without any direction we end up going to in no particular place. Uh, um, so I, I can't come up with a whole list of uh, those uh, 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 values or principles, but I strongly believe that uh, we all matter. Whatever contribution we make, whether it's small or large, it matters. We matter. And uh, also recently become more aware of this notion of ownership that we own our future uh, that uh, we own the outcomes in our lives no matter what the circumstances are so i'm embracing some of these fundamental principles and becoming fully aware of what these mean so if you had one or two challenges to give people as we close, what would those be? Challenges I deal right now on a daily basis is how can I stay happy for today? How I can uh, be aware of what's happening with my emotions, with my energy level, and sort of manage that uh, daily journey with much more joy, with much more uh, groundedness and with much more purpose. So that's a challenge I give to everyone 
be aware of how you are spending the day, how you're feeling through the day, and uh, what can you do to have more joyful days, more um, days filled with more awareness and uh, calmness, you know? And do you have any suggested techniques or ways to do that? So I have been doing meditation pretty much regularly uh, in the evenings. Uh, I spend 20, 25 minutes most of the days. Um, so that has helped me. I think it takes time, John. Uh, it's not easy that you can just sort of uh, do it you know, instantly, but uh, there are breathing techniques uh, and so on. But I keep, I recommend to my friends uh, journaling, like uh, writing uh, what happens uh, in your life as a way to capture your thoughts, your feelings, and uh, where you are in life, and uh, sort of use that as an anchor. I try to mentor young people, and I encourage them to keep a journal. That's a second uh, path, and I'm trying to embrace for myself, like being more closer to nature having that uh, solitude one-on-one time with ourselves. So that's a third piece, I would say. I love all of those things. So you don't have a, you don't have five simple hacks or five simple steps. <laughs> it's a process. I get it. I get it. If, uh, to be honest with you, if one embraces two of the three things, you know, it can change your life dramatically. So we don't need like a long list of things to do but we just need to uh, do them <laughs> do them embrace them uh, internalize these uh, basic concepts uh and uh, uh live that life and uh take the journey you know well put where could people find you on the internet if they want to learn more about you contact you what's what's the best way to do that so uh, john i'm not fully come out yet uh, with a website <laughs> okay. or uh, a coaching sort of uh, a manifesto or a description. I am trying to kind of do the groundwork right now, go through the coaching training. and uh, But at some point in the future. Tell you what, when you do that, you just let me know and I'll update the web page that goes with this episode. And then people will be able to find you. Or they can they can reach out to me. They all know where to find me, and then I'll send them to you. How's that? Thank you. Uh, I will. And uh, I am, uh, you know, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I have a profile there, a professional profile. Yeah, we'll link to that. Yeah. Perfect. That's a great place to start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming by today. Well, pleasure is all mine, and you've been um, great. Uh, terrific. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates.